0: Well, good morning. It's an extra fusion of excitement this morning. Uh, for those of you who know me, they know that, that uh, I like to wander around as much as possible. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to pay attention to what I'm saying as I get edger, uh, edge a bit closer and closer uh, to the chasm of watery doom. Okay. It is, uh, you can tell I'm I'm quite excited this morning. We have had a baptism this morning, which is a a reason to celebrate if ever there was one. Uh, We're also in the season of Advent. So, I mean, that's like me opening up all my presents at the same time this morning. Uh, It is right that we have that sense of uh, excitement and celebration as we count down the days. Uh, Now, uh, most of you will have been encouraged to take um, a small green book in the last few weeks, uh, the Advent book that we've been uh, reading, uh, Repeat the Sounding Joy by Christopher Ash. If you haven't done so, please Feel free to, to get hold of a copy. It's going to help provide a, a theme each of the Sunday mornings and then run up to Christmas. But as I was reading that book and thinking that I was going to take something from it for this morning, for us all to share, uh, there was a key aspect that I wanted to draw out. Uh, actually, and slightly oddly, it was in the introduction rather than any of the actual days, the thing that really struck me for this morning, because I felt it was a, a, a theme that was particularly relevant Uh, as we celebrate with Jonathan uh, uh, this morning. And so what I'd like to do is consider for a moment um, how we should view Christmas and Easter in a morning where in this very place we've already celebrated communion and baptism. So, I have two readings uh, this morning. I thought I'd get slightly greedy and go for two. And uh, the first one, a nice uh, uh, typical uh, Christmas reading uh, from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And this is what it says. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quividius was a governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The second reading is more of a typical Easter reading. It comes from Matthew 28 and verses 1 to 6. (coughs) Now after the Sabbath, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Amen. Now, of course, Christmas and Easter are the two main Christian festivals. Uh, They mark the two key points of the earthly experience of Jesus Christ. Uh, The birth alongside the death and resurrection from the basis of our faith. And it is right that they provide the the, the centerpiece of the year uh, for the last two millennia. Uh, on each occasion, we remember, we look back to these pivotal moments that changed history and ultimately broke the power of sin and death and altered the eternal destination for countless people. We do well to remember. It is good that these high points exist in our calendar. Uh, you know, that we are reminded of these events. I remember, uh, to be honest, uh, just how dreary it is not to have Christmas and Easter. When I was growing up, when I was younger, uh, I went to school and and many of the Christians there, well, uh, they didn't celebrate Christmas or Easter. Actually, if I'm being entirely frank, they didn't seem to celebrate anything. (laughs) There was throughout the year and throughout their lives a real distinct lack of joy. And me being me, I remember remarking to one, uh, it didn't go down particularly well, but I remember remarking to one that he reminded me very much of the White Witch of Narnia uh, out of C.S. Lewis. Uh, You know, it is always winter, but never Christmas, you know. I laughed. But that is not what we are called into. That is not who we are supposed to be. We are the redeemed. We are the children of God. We have everything to rejoice over. I mean, the Christians even moved their day of celebration from the Saturday to the Sunday because that was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What excitement we should have. And so we are to celebrate. And you know what? It might not be that we have the circumstances in life that cause us to celebrate. It may well be that our lives at present will do everything but cause that air of expectation and wonder and celebration. But when we look back at what God has done, we have every reason to rejoice. I mean, imagine a year without Christmas and Easter. Uh, imagine how difficult evangelism would be if all we had was Lent. That would be a tough sell, wouldn't it? (laughs) It's important for us to remember. It is important for us to celebrate. That's why we have communion. We often say we celebrate the breaking of bread. We have that opportunity. And sometimes it can be quite solemn when we focus on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we rejoice that he rose from the dead, and so we celebrate it every week. It provides an opportunity to remind us what it costs for our salvation, but that we are saved. So each week we are reminded of the death, the spilled blood, the body that was broken, and it is just as well that we do. It's probably just as well uh, that we get to celebrate it every week. Um, again, uh, traditionally, for where I come from, you know, the, the, the high point of the candle, we get to do a communion twice a year. There's something quite special about doing it every week with the same readings and the same songs that we tend to sing and read. And it's because human beings are prone to forget. It's with a numbing inevitability that we see history constantly repeating itself, sometimes in our lives or the lives of our children, sometimes in the life of our church, certainly in the life of our nation, as we forget the lessons of history. We forget things. Human beings are prone to forget even the most important of things. I'm sure my wife is fed up asking me every single morning, have you got your inhaler with you? Because I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, I've got to go find it. I, I forget, even though it, it potentially can save my life. And I forget. Uh, my own particular fear, and I don't know if this, if this resonates with anybody else, but my own you know, deep, dark recesses, the real fear that I have, is that I'm going to leave a child behind. Now, again, maybe some of you are like me. You have numerous children. I have four children. You know, that, that's a, that I feel is a critical mass where you could forget a child, you know. Uh, perhaps I like may sometimes, you've, you know, you've got to come early. Maybe you come in two different vehicles. Perhaps that sweet cherub has fallen asleep. And so thinking that your partner has that child, you leave without a member of your family. I can see how it could be done. I have seen it happen. And it is a fear that I carry with me. One, two, three, four, right, let's go. But we are prone to forget. Um, Sometimes on on archaeological digs, it's really uh, fascinating when when we're digging things up, uh, and we find these little pieces of pottery, broken pieces of pottery, pots that have been broken, and there's these wee notes on these pot shirts, wee notes, to-do lists that go back to ancient times. Uh, I, I write to-do lists, uh, I try and remember what I'm supposed to do, I, I mark things in my calendar. Uh, as a nation, we'll, we'll build monuments to things and people that we do not want to forget, because if we don't, we will. Forgetfulness can even afflict the believer. We can get used to being the children of God so we're no longer struck with awe and wonder at being adopted by the creator of heaven and earth. We lose sight of what our redemption costs. And so we lose our gratitude and then we misplace our joy and we miss out on the celebration. We cease to be who we are called to be and so it is important that we remember. We Remember what it cost. And so we can be struck again by the wonder of it all. And so it's vital that we celebrate it. It's vital we have that joy about what God has done, that we can be enthused by him. But that is only half of the story. As we would have read in our Advent book that I mentioned, it says that when it comes to Christmas, we would do well to look both ways. I mean, even as I say that, look both ways, I'm reminded of my children running towards a road. You know? <laughs> look both ways! You know, I could, there should be an exclamation mark after that. And it is good advice when you're approaching a road. Uh, I, I can tell you that from personal experience. Uh, it is good advice to look both ways before you cross the road. But it is also good advice when it comes to the things we celebrate. And this is not a new notion Um, in all of the Old Testament feasts and rites. uh, They would point back to a particular moment, uh, a time in history that had resulted in this celebration, this regular celebration. And they were compelled, therefore, to look backwards and see that moment and remember that moment. But they also had to remember that it pointed in the other direction. It pointed to their future as well. Each feast. Each ritual pointed to a time when they were no longer needed. In other words, when they had uh, the Passover or the Day of Atonement, the people were to be mindful of the historical context that they memorialized, but they pointed to their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ when they were no longer needed. They strained, like the whole book, they strained forward in the knowledge that the blood of the lambs, no matter how numerous, was not sufficient. They were designed to be looking forward in faith, to hold on to the promises of God. Uh, Promises to raise up a people out of the ruins in uh, Hosea and Amos. Uh, Promises to give them a new heart that we famously see in Jeremiah. Promises to pour out the Holy Spirit that we see in Ezekiel and Joel. Uh, Promises to wipe away every tear that we have in Isaiah. Uh, Promises that his people would no longer be put to shame, that they would no longer fail to be the people they were supposed to be in Daniel and Joel. Promises of God. And so whilst it was the case that the people of God would look back, they were also called just as much to look forward. And that was what I was reminded of when I read our Advent book this week. Now, Christopher Ash reminded me that Christmas, although it is the time that we celebrate the incarnation, that moment in the past, that moment we look back to with great celebration, when it, just like the promises of God in the Old Testament... There is something about it that is pointing towards the future. Advent, of course, is that Latin word for uh, coming or arriving. And so we describe these days in December, in the run-up to Christmas, as Advent because Christmas is coming. But we need to remember we live in a world of Advent. I suppose you could say uh, Advent is for life, not just for Christmas. It's that idea that we live in a time of expectation because Advent, yes, you know, running up to Christmas, but there's a sense by which Christ is going to come back. And we are living in that Advent that goes beyond these few weeks. As we're reminded in Acts 1.11, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go. The same Jesus that was born, that same Jesus that lived and died, that rose from the tomb, that ascended into heaven to intercede on our behalf in the throne room of heaven is coming back. And so Christmas is not just about the celebration of the virgin conceiving, of the birth in Bethlehem. It is about that same Jesus returning, not quietly, not in the outskirts of the empire while the empire thinks they've got more important things to do. As Mark records, when he returns, they will see the Son of of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And so we wait in expectation and excitement, yes, for Christmas Day, but also the day to come. That day that eclipses everything else. That day when we finally see him face to face. And that is a day worth waiting for. And so that twin nature of Christmas it's what we celebrate, looking back and rejoicing, and looking forward with great joy. Now, I have to say that it's also the same with Easter. I mean, whilst I've got you, I should point out—I know we're a few months away from Easter—but it's it's the same thing. Again, we celebrate it every year. Rightly, we take the time and we remember in solemnity the death of Jesus Christ on the cross on Good Friday. We focus that because of that shameful, painful death, Jesus stood in our stead taking death so we could have life. And it's right that we celebrate Easter Sunday when the stone was rolled away and Jesus rose from the grave triumphant with sin and death forever defeated. We can rejoice because we can look at him and see what is in store for us. Uh, Romans 8, uh, uh, 29 um, tells us that Jesus is the prototype of the resurrection. We can look at him and see that our death is to be transitory and our life is to be eternal. And that means Easter is is as much about looking forward as it is about looking back. It means that alongside commemorating that moment in history when Jesus changed everything, when victory was secured, we can also say uh, in line with the psalmist in Psalm 17 verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. Uh, of course, it's not just these annual events, Christmas and Easter. As I've mentioned, we're compelled to look both ways when we think of uh, communion. Uh, Each week, as I said, we celebrate the breaking of bread. uh, And just like Old Testament rituals, just like Christmas, just like Easter, it points in two different directions. It points at that time when Christ instigated the practice. That first time with those flawed men taking that bread from the hand of their Lord. Men who on the whole would let him down, would deny him, would run away. Uh, These were the men that he died for and gave a future to. And despite all of their flaws, what is wondrous about it is that they were not called to earn the ritual. They were not to, to earn the death of their Lord. They were simply to accept the bread and accept the wine. They were to accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And we are no different. Each week when we come before God, we come as flawed and broken people. And we do not wait to be perfect before we can receive from our Lord before we can take the bread and the wine and the forgiveness. We take it flawed but repentant. We're imperfect but we are pardoned. And we have every right to celebrate. Of course, uh, in fact, when the communion comes, it's very common to have uh, the reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, we often hear those words. It's quite regular. Perhaps we don't necessarily always hear the import of verse 26 when it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. The second direction that communion points to is the day that the ritual will no longer be required. When forgetfulness is no longer a danger. We are told to do this ritual, to remember the sacrifice until that day. That glorious day when we see him face to face. And so each time we take the bread and the wine, we are compelled not just to remember the death, but the resurrection. And to echo with, uh, with Job when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at last, he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself with my eyes, with my very own eyes. I will behold him, not another. And so my heart faints within me. And so, yes, we need to be content with the ritual for now, but we need to remember that one day we will be with the author of life. What a reason to celebrate. And of course this morning we had baptism. The last one that I promised. We've done Christmas, Easter, communion, baptism. Uh, Mindful of what has already taken place. We heard some of the words from Romans 6, verses 3 to 5. Uh, We heard about being buried with Christ and raised again. When we are baptized, it's a sign of something that has taken place within us. We are right to look backwards. As we were told uh, in Romans 6, all of us who have been baptized have been baptized into Christ's death. As Jonathan did up here. You know, we can look back at an old person, an old woman, an old man that has been buried. That is a thing of the past. And as a sign of repentance, uh, baptism puts our past to bed. Uh, but baptism also looks forward, just like in the Old Testament, uh, you know, you had your, your baptism of repentance, but there was other reasons to be baptized. There was the babi- uh, baptism of, of dedication and sanctification, uh, the priesthood, whenever they embarked their new life as servants of God, were baptized. Uh, and so it wasn't just about simply putting away the past, but they had this life to look forward to. Every single day that they got up, and every single day that we get up, we can rejoice because we have a day where we are dedicated to the service of God. And they were sanctified. We are made clean because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and so we have a day to look forward to. Just as we're baptized, we have this day of cleansing, this day ahead where we get to be with God. We know that this new life that we experience now, this day that we have right now to serve God, this new life that we were talking about in baptism is just a taste of the life that will be ours when we rise again. So, I have to conclude. (laughs) My time has elapsed. You know, it is right that we are a people that celebrate. Are people for whom it cannot be said that we are forever in winter and never Christmas. Even when life assails us, even when we find ourselves in a bleak place, I'd say even more so, we need to hold on to the promises of God. We have a future to rejoice over because of what God has done in the past. I, I remember when I, was, uh, when I was a teacher, I was, I was teaching children uh, probabilities in maths. Um, which for some reason, almost almost inevitably, the children never get the first time round. You have to teach it several times before children understand uh, probabilities. And one of the things that you would do is you take a coin, and you talk about heads and tails, and you explain that when you flip the coin, uh, it's got a one-in-two chance of landing on the head side and a one-in-two chance landing on the tail side. You know, 50-50. You're trying to explain that to them. And one of the questions you would ask, to see if they got it, you'd say, if I flipped this coin a hundred times, and a hundred times it landed on heads, what are the chances it's going to land on heads again the next time? And the class would split, and half the class would say, it's landed a hundred times, it can't possibly land on there again. Surely it can't happen again. another half of the class would go, no, it's happened a hundred times, so the trend will continue. And of course, both sides were completely wrong. It had just as much chance. A one and 2 chance, just as it always had, of landing on either heads or tails. And I tried to explain it to me. See, the coin does not remember its past. It is not shaped by what has happened before. It has the same chance of landing on either side. But we are determined by the past. We are changed and shaped by these things that we look back we celebrate because what has happened in the past has dramatically changed our future it's not up to chance we can know what is going to happen because of what has happened in the past that is why we remember in baptism that is why we remember in communion that is what we are reminded of at Easter and at Christmas This is what we should be mindful of as we take part in an Advent that yes, looks back at Bethlehem but also looks forward to his glorious return. And so each and every one of us should leave this place looking both ways. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you That our futures are assured, that our futures have been shaped by you, that we know what is to come because of the past, because of what you have achieved, of what you have done. And so we celebrate the birth in Bethlehem, we celebrate the life, we celebrate the death, and we celebrate the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that we can be a people who rejoice. We thank you, Lord, that we can be people who know what it is to celebrate because of the God who has done everything. Lord, I pray that you'd enable us to look both ways, to rejoice in what we've done in the past, but all of us to live with that air of expectation for the future. Let us be a people with that joy that is obvious to those around us, because of the God we serve. In Jesus' name, amen.